planet, planet Earth's a rocket wagon train upon a journey. And what if aliens don't fight an actress named Seth Gurney? We're not a bunch of geeks who live in basements, sleep on futons, but who wouldn't stream our podcast if we're calling it Space Croutons. It's an intergalactic, robot automatic, moon-dust-sporadic trip around the sun. It's a totally terrific, proven scientific, freaking fantastic phaser set to fun. It's Space Crew Talk. We think. Get your space suit on. It's pink. We're triple cute. On that you can rely. And once you've tossed your salad in your flying saucer, it's valid to add Space Crew Talk for lunch. With Neil Diamond? Lucy in the sky. I love Neil Diamond. Lucy in the sky. No, not Neil Diamond. With Space Croutons. Salutations, Space Croutons listeners. This is Solly with another episode of Space Croutons once again without our friend Curdy Clammerwood but joined by my young friend Seaver podcasting today from the AV Club studio at Grover's Mills Middle School. A shout out to my Crouton crew. We are in the house. Seaver has been sifting through our older episodes looking for clues regarding Curdy's disappearance. Yeah, so like, I'm not sure I found anything exactly, but I'm wondering. Wondering about what? About these Cordex. What exactly are they? Well, Seaver, you mentioned the other day that you play video games, right? Yeah. So these Cordex would be like collecting the rarest of your video game weaponry. You mean like the Phantom Bow or Jeremiah's Lightning Crystal? Throw in the Cranium Basher and the Diamond Weisenheimer and you get the idea. So that's why all these people are trying to find them? To win the game? Some believe these Cordex will bring them ultimate power. Others seek to reverse what they believe are bad things the Cordex brought about. Still others are keeping their motives secret for now. That is what Curdy was trying to figure out and I think why he vanished. He was getting too close to the truth. Dude, that's so weird. That's why everyone is being so extra, huh? I mean, big yikes. Allow me to translate. What Seaver said so teen eloquently is man, that's so amazing. That's why everyone is being so dramatic and over the top, huh? I mean, yikes, only larger. Yeah, I mean, like, no cap? As my translator application is currently working in overdrive, this is a good opportunity to pop in today's sponsor. Here are the overdubs with Famous for Being You. With thoughts right off the top of your head And post it to your local friend You picket people's cars And then you say you're sorry You didn't mean exactly what you said So 
so don't you beg their pardon Who died and made them warden Don't they know just who you are Don't hate on a superstar Who is famous for being you Famous for being you Famous for being you So famous for being you are lit as are you Seaver as are you now listeners as we are trying to figure things out we received the following missive from someone we think you will recognize here is their story called the afterwards He, uh, came to me again in my dream last night. He smiled in a way he never did when he was alive, like he knows everything now. And then, as if he was reading my mind, and this being a dream, it was in my mind, so that makes sense, right? He shook his head and simply said, No, I don't. Wouldn't want to. Never will. Okay, I nodded and placed my hand on his, resting on the white sheet of the bed where he was lying with his head propped up on three pillows. One pillow was never enough. This was the bed at the hospice where he spent his last two months. A tired but comforting piece of huge furniture covered with his grandmother's bow-tie pattern quilt. A cedar bed that pretty much filled the room, leaving barely enough space for a small tray and two folding chairs. My first few visits I would start off sitting in one of the chairs, but within five minutes he would coax me onto the bed near his knees, where he didn't need to look down at me from his perch on top of the deep, thick mattress. In the dream, I'm already sitting on the bed in what had become my spot as my visits continued and I began exchanging familiar nods with the staff in the hallways or when it was dosing time for one of his pain meds. You're looking good today, I break the silence, a bit awkwardly because in a way I feel like I know why I'm here and yet I don't. You do and you don't, he shrugs. That is so you. His chuckle is deep and resonant, like before he got so sick, and it warms me to hear it again. He inhales deeply and then continues, A man walks into a bar. He's carrying a guitar case, and there's a live duck sitting on his head. The bartender comes over and says, Do you know you've got a duck on your head? And opening the guitar case, the man replies, Sure. Is the key of G okay? I groan, then laugh as I squeeze his hand. He shrugs again. Well, that's what happens when you die. You don't know everything, but you know a lot of jokes. So, are you ready? Again, I nod. Again, sure, yet not. But knowing the dream is something I want to continue. Good. 
I knew Crane since childhood. Over fifteen years of great moments and sad moments, belly laughs and crying jags from both of us, shared experiences and sudden conflicts that had to get ironed out, all the things that real friends go through. And when he got his cancer diagnosis, of course I was there for that too, ever present to lend a strong shoulder, but also eating up each selfish moment of time I could get with him empathizing with his pain while feeling guilty for the sense of gratitude I felt for not being the sick one. One of the coolest things about Crane was his understanding that I, and everyone else for that matter, are filled with these opposing drives and motivations, and he blamed me, us, everyone, for none of it. Pulling his hand from under mine, he threw the quilt back, revealing a vivacious, fully clothed in jeans and t-shirt body as he bounded from the sick bed, slapping the floor with his feet, which were instantly socked and shooed. Dreams, right? I slid down from the bed and followed him out the door, and immediately we were in a conference room with windows looking out over Central Park. I wonder at how I would know this, as I have never been to New York City, and yet the conference room was familiar. On the whiteboard, wait, it's changing colors every ten seconds or so, and with it the dry erase marker ink also changes to a contrasting color so we can continue to see what's been drawn on it. Anyway, on the whiteboard are easy-to-recognize crane sketches of a series of objects, A Rubik's Cube, a rabbit's foot, a pocket watch, gemstone, quarter, medallion, a mood ring, a dog collar, a... a, uh... Yeah, I know. It's supposed to be a banana hanger. He points at it and shrugs. He does that quite a lot in my dreams, I notice. They're really difficult for me to draw. Then, below those drawings are two large X's. And those, I am not wanting to be too helpful and hope we don't figure things out too fast as I selfishly want this dream to last as long as possible. You know and yet you don't, right? I stick out my tongue. Crane is really enjoying this way too much, which makes me smile. Yeah, I do. These are what have been found and identified, and those, indicating the X's, are what still need to be found and identified. He claps his hands with joy. You got it. And we want to find and identify these objects because... Because... He gestures like he's pulling the information from my brain. (sighs) I sigh and continue. Because they do things and the aliens want them and the government wants them and some billionaires want them and the saviors of the world want them and the power mongers want them. I'm impressed that some of these words even come out of my mouth. Not my typical vocabulary. Dreams, right? So, what do they do? I point to the rendering, still changing color, as the board does. Ah, great question. Are you going to answer it? Are you? He hasn't had this much fun since before his diagnosis. Each one has a power to make something happen, alter time or space, or open some kind of wormhole, or affect reality, or just create an electrostatic charge. Like when you scruff across the carpet in your socks and then touch a doorknob? That's kind of a letdown, isn't it? Is it? Sorry. They do what they do. Well, that's just half the story, yes, Crane? 
Like when you put the objects together, bringing them into proximity with each other, they generate new and even more powerful phenomena. Two items or three or four. What are we talking here? We don't really know exactly, but from what's been seen, it is undoubtedly more than we humans can handle. We've been warned that this will change the world as we know it, and that's not necessarily a good thing. Are we sure it's a bad thing? I can play the game too, right? Well, that's quite a conundrum. Still, identifying and acquiring these is the short-term goal in order to protect them and us. Oh, you, sorry, I'm dead. I keep forgetting. From harm. Crane grabs a marker and draws a circle around the top items. These we know about, but are having a difficult time getting them locked down. They keep getting taken by one party from another, and it's been a challenge keeping score. The good news is that no one has more than one or two of them, and the items themselves seem to have a protection ability if they get too close to each other. But these? He points to the X's. Well, these are the big mystery and our, your, top priority. Well, how am I supposed to locate something that I don't even know what it is? You know, you keep asking questions, but you're in charge here. Okay, okay. So... I would imagine there must be a way to search for the X's by figuring out how to measure their powers and track them that way. Good. You're halfway there. Put your hand up to the banana hanger I've drawn. I did as he asked, and the drawing began to pulse and glow while the board continued to change color, and the object became more opaque and three-dimensional. I could see the object in 3D as if it were being projected in front of the board. Hey now, that's impressive, I smiled. I can almost feel a little tingle in my tummy. I giggle now, and I like this dream. Now, put your hand near the first X. The projection fades as I move my hand away from the banana hanger drawing, toward the X on the left. It starts pulsing and glowing like the other rendering, but this time, instead of an object projecting in front of me, I get a picture of a place, not fully realized, but just enough detail to make out signage on a wall. San Diego Airport. The tingle is rumbling in my abdomen like before. So... What's this? Some kind of ESP geocache thing? You've always joked that you were psychic. No, I I always said psychic, remember? Telepathetic powers. But I can't so much as bend a spork. So how is this happening? Well, it turns out that you are a very good space wave Geiger counter. Probably all those formative years living near Three Mile Island. Who knows? Maybe. Thanks for taking this off. What makes you think I've agreed to do this? He just frowns and shrugs. Right, it's my dream. So what do I do with these things if I find one? Encase it in any kind of titanium receptacle. That will shield it from any of the other objects in close proximity, which will be safer for you for obvious reasons. So why me? If there are others who've been looking for these things, or who knows how long, why am I doing this now? Well, there are some who happened on the items by chance, and others who were brought into this like you are now, but turned out to be untrustworthy. And the aliens? What aliens? Hey, it's my dream, remember? If I think there are aliens, then there are aliens. Right. We don't know exactly, but not knowing is why we need to do what we need to do to be safe. Comprende? Crane liked to blurt out one of his three Spanish words when he thought it made him sound cool. So, that's it. 
That's how I came on board this wild ride nearly 35 years ago. Crane had been the one who was doing this, and as I found out, his cancer was a result of being in the wrong place at the wrong time when two of the objects, I never knew which ones, collided before they knew to keep them apart. It was his dying wish, and all his afterwards, that convinced me to take over when he passed. It's been fun mostly, if not always, I guess, except when dealing with stupid, greedy people. Why am I telling this to you? Simply put, I, I have no other choice. You're podcasting the details about the objects and their powers, and the resulting interference of the other searches, as well as the disappearance of Curdy Clammerwood at the hands of his mysterious benefactor, if you ask me, has led me to these drastic measures. We have to come out of hiding, put it all out there for the world to hear and consider. So, I am sending you this message, which I expect you will play on your Space Crouton show. My name is Flint. In some of your previous stories, I was referred to as the Sunglasses Guy. I have been working with an alien who goes by the name Dandy Lion. She's the one who bowled for the gemstone all those years ago, and yes, we still have it safely put away. And yes, she and I met with Curdy again, asking for his help just before he disappeared. But you know that as well. What you don't know yet is that I've identified and acquired the last two Quardacs, as they have been labeled. <laughs> Stupid name. Yes, it is like geocaching, with that pleasant little tingle in my tummy. Add those to the gemstone, and that makes three. Assuming your stories regarding the other objects are true, I am hereby alerting those possessing them, Aiden, Joe, Brittany, Bent, Bug, Clarissa, that we will soon retrieve them no matter what it takes. This is not a threat, but simply a statement of what will happen. So I advise you to do the smart thing and prepare to hand them over. You are not equipped to use them, much less keep us from taking them. And for those who doubt our motives, all I can say is that these quardacks, once they are in our possession, will be packed safely and securely away from those intent on using them to further their own agendas at the expense of the earth and our human race. The alien race that they belong to will then take them and leave our world and leave us to live our lives as we are capable of without the interference and potential danger of these quardacks. And let's face it, the knowledge we have acquired in the search and attempts to manipulate these objects has already advanced Earth's science and technology well beyond where they would have been had this not happened in the first place. The revelation of the alien constellation alphabet and mathematical musical tonal translations alone will push our understanding of time and space far ahead of what we knew before. So, we have gained something from this after all. You must trust me when I tell you that I am human too, and I know I am doing the right thing. If I were not absolutely sure of this, I would not have become a part of it. The alien race I have dealt with has shown only a desire to retrieve what is theirs and to bother us no further. We must help them complete this mission so they can return home and continue their own lives. I know there are listeners out there who will believe none of what I'm saying, and that's okay. 
Truth be told, it would have been preferable for the mission to have been completed without any humans knowing of it. But thanks to the accidental discoveries by the other searchers, that outcome has become difficult. And with the airing of space croutons, it became impossible to maintain secrecy. So there you have it. We are going to collect the Quardax, and we can do it the easy way or the hard way. It's up to you. Regardless, it will happen. Thanks for listening, and for you other searchers, prepare to hand over the goods. That is all. Well, Flint, thanks for sharing this with us. What does our audience think about this? It's time to decide who to trust. If anyone out there has thoughts or ideas regarding what we've just heard, or about Curdy's disappearance, please reach out so we can bring him home. Again, my thanks to Seaver for all his help and discretion as we power through this. Thanks, dude. I got your back. All okay with me. And thanks to our listeners for your support. And as we take our leave, keep listening and keep peace in your heart until our next story time. It's an intergalactic robot automatic moon dust sporadic trip around the sun. It's a totally terrific, proven scientific, freaking fantastic phaser set to fun. It's space crouton. We think. Get your space suit on. It's pink with triple Q. On that you can rely. Space Croutons is a work of original fiction. Similarities to persons, situations, or events, real or fictional, is coincidental and unintentional. Created and written by Jerry, Jace, John, Della, and Jeff Goodson. Episode 17 Story by Jeff. Original music and production by Jeff. Featuring the voice talents of Levi Blakesley, Jeff, and Sally. Entire work copyright 2020 by Jeff, John, Jerry, Della, and Jace Goodson. This has been a Good Witch audio production.